back to number three. First Corinthians. First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter number three. First Corinthians chapter number three. We'll read some uh, section of verses here, then we'll flip over to the book of Romans, read some verses there, and then we'll pray, and then we will uh, jump into it this evening. First Corinthians chapter number three, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. But as, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Let's flip over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free, the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is the enmity with God, enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you'll speak with us this evening. Father, I pray that you'll use me, empty me of self. Father, I don't want to just fill time. Father, I, I want to be used of you. I pray that there'll be someone here that can use this this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we have just started school. As Pastor said, we're, we're praying and things like that. Thank God school year has begun. Uh, and we are, we are into our third week. And I was ex as I was explaining to our um, junior high and high schoolers and some of the elementary students that the way the curriculum works is you have 12 tests throughout the year, you have 36 weeks, so if you divide 36 by 12, you get 33. So that means about every three weeks, you get a test. The teacher's best friend. Just kidding, no. Uh, the test. Where did the test come from? Uh, testing is nothing new. Even academic testing. This, this, uh, there are traces that go back all the way to China uh, to get a governmental job. You had to pass this exam of understanding Confucianism and some of their old poetry and things like that. The Grecians and Romans had their own form of testing for different job opportunities and different abilities. Uh, they were much more of the essay style because, you know, they're Greek philosophers and they love to hear themselves speak. Uh, so these were some of the things that they did. But they had certain tests of academic status that you had to do in order to get certain positions and to go to certain places. 
And during the Industrial Revolution, it really began to uh, catch on, especially in much more of a, of a grade schooling type of area, because now the children, now with the Industrial Revolution, uh, there is more machinery, and so there is not as the, m much need for as much manpower. And so children are now able to go to school, and there's more money that's going around so they can afford things like that. And so if you hate tests, blame the Industrial Revolution. So it's all their fault. But that's what happened. Uh, this is all from an article from the Times Magazine back in 2009 talking about uh, the history of, of academic testing. Where did it come from? But the question is, what is the point of testing? Okay, if you're in school, you think torture and pain and suffering. You are right. No, no. Uh, it's there to make sure what you have learned. It's there as a stopgap to say, okay, let's take a break from all the learning. Let's take a break from all the information we've been going over, and let's see what has stuck. Let's see if you have retained the information that you need to retain in order to go ahead into the next area. Okay, just the, the basic one is math. Okay, you, you, you really should not go forward in math if you do not understand the concept that you are learning right now because it will not be a fun, happy time. Okay, if you don't know what you're doing right now, don't add on to what you do not know because it gets a bigger ball of, I do not know, okay? It just gets bigger and bigger. So you could say it in many ways, but the purpose of testing is to see what you are made of, to see if you have the knowledge that you need to, to progress in the subject that you're going with. Now, there are many different types of tests. Obviously, there's academic tests, whatever you may have, uh, essay tests, whatever it is. Uh, but even in science and things like that, there are specific tests that have to be done. Another test, for instance, that uh, most people are probably at least familiar with have heard before is a litmus test. Uh, have you guys heard of, at least heard of a litmus test? Good, all right. Uh, litmus test. Uh, this is a test that they use special pieces of paper to test a substance, usually a liquid, to see if it's acidic or basic uh, or, or neutral, but mainly to see if it's acidic or basic. They have uh, two main types, okay? There's a blue one. Is a blue one. What you do with that is you put it in the, the liquid that you're dealing with, and if it turns red, it means that it is, uh, hang on, uh, if it turns red, it means it's, it, it is acidic. And then if you have the red one or the pink one, depending on what brand you get, uh, it will turn blue if it's basic. So blue for basic, red for acidic. So th that's the purpose of it. And then they even have a neutral one, uh, which will turn either color. But the whole purpose is to see what the substance you're dealing with is made of. You have to run this test. Obviously, it's kind of important. You don't want to, you know, you could really hurt yourself or even kill someone if you're not careful with what you're doing and the, and the instruments that you're using. So you have this litmus test. The litmus test is there to make sure what you are doing is what you think you are doing. Because if you don't, there's going to be a problem is to make sure you understand exactly what you are working with and exactly what you are making and what you are dealing with. If you do not understand that the substance I'm dealing with is a base, uh, then mixing it with other things will not be a good scenario. Uh, you could cause some serious damage to yourself or those around you. Same thing with being uh, acidic or whatever you're trying to do. So the litmus test is a very important thing. It's to, to understand what is the substance that I'm dealing with. And you have to have these understandings to make sure that what you are trying to do turns out the way that it's supposed to be. Now, if we take the scriptures, we can find that God has given us a litmus test for something very, very important. 
See, there are three kinds of people. If you really want to boil it down to a very basic uh, categories of people, there are three kinds of people in this world, according to the Bible. First off, there is the natural man. That's the unsaved man. Then there's the spiritual man. That's the saved man that's living according to what God wants him to be. And then, as we read in many different instances here tonight, there's the carnal man. The man that's saved, but he's acting like the natural man. He is thinking like the natural man. Those are your three types of people. All people in the world will fall into one of those categories. You're either natural, meaning you're not saved. You don't know the things of God. You're spiritual, meaning you're saved and you're living the way, and you're striving to live the way God wants you to live, or you're carnal. You're a saved person that is no longer living like a saved person. You're living like you're natural again. You're living like you're unsaved. You're living like the world. And if we take the Bible and properly apply it, just like you would with a litmus test, you can find out who you truly are. You can look at it and dip it into your own life and take the Bible and dip it into your life and dip it into your life and see what am I? Am I a natural man? Am I a spiritual man? Or am I a carnal man? Now the question most important is which kind are you? But even more important than that is which kind do you want to be? Because if you don't even want to be spiritual, you're in a much worse scenario than not being spiritual but wanting to be spiritual. Because that's a deep heart issue that buries deep inside that has rooted deep inside of you that will be a strong and hard fight to get out. But what kind are you? What kind of person are you? Which of the three are you? Are you natural, spiritual, or are you carnal? Which one are you? The unsaved, the saved that's living what God wants them to, or the saved that's living like you used to live, or like those that are out in the world. God has given us scriptures so we can have a litmus test for our life. So I can look and take different scriptures and different Bible verses and dip it into my life, into who I am, into my spirit, and see who am I? What person am I? Who am I emulating today? The natural the spiritual, or the carnal? What do your test results show? It takes an honest person. Any scientist can look at it and dip it in there and say, oh, that's definitely acidic. When he sees it's definitely turned blue and he knows it's basic. Anybody can do that. Anybody can look in the mirror and lie to themselves about everything that they are. It takes an honest person to look and say, no, no, this is actually what's happening right now. So you have to be honest. So let's look at a litmus test the Bible gives us of the attributes and the actions of the spiritual man. The spiritual man. We're going to be going a lot of places in our Bible this evening. So number one, number one, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 13, we'll go back there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 13. The first action, the first attribute of the spiritual man, the first show on our litmus test of the spiritual man is he compares spiritual things with spiritual things. First Corinthians 2.13 says, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual See, the spiritual man compares scripture in one part of the Bible with scriptures in other parts of the Bible to determine the context, and here's the important part, the correct meaning. Amen. We live in a day and age where we love to use our pen knife to, 
cut things out and to highlight the words and the things that we wanted to say without truly understanding and trying to understand what it is truly saying. See, that's the danger. We don't live in a day and age of, it's just a simple misunderstanding. We live in a day and age of purposeful misunderstanding of I am purposefully trying to use this out of the way that it's supposed to be used. He does not take verses out of context. This is the spiritual man. The spiritual man does not take verses out of context as cults do, as false teachers, and as many in this world do today. That's a plague that goes on and on and on in churches around America, in homes around America, in homes around the world where people are just taking verses out of context. You've heard it many times. Oh, what doesn't the Bible say over here about this, this, and that? Okay, uh, yeah, uh, but you're taking that way out of context. You're taking your little cherry-picked verse that you want to try and prove your point, even though all the verses around it are showing the full context of it. Okay, One of the worst books in the Bible to read without context is the book of Job. Okay, uh, You'll be so confused if you just try and read the book of Job in just little verses here and there. You will have no idea what, what good doctrine is, what's right, what's wrong, because uh, most of the book of Job is uh, three or four men that are way off base, no spirituality, and they're accusing uh, a brother that, oh, you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong. And if you take that out of context, you'll think, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. So context is very important. The spiritual man says, I'm going to compare spiritual with spiritual. I'm not going to be the easy way out. I'm going to make sure I do my studying. As the book of 2 Timothy says, study to show thyself a workman. Need not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. It's very important that the spiritual man compares spiritual things with spiritual things. Let me make sure this verse adds up. As Paul said of the Berean church, he said, I, I'm so happy with you because you don't just take what I say as truth. You're willing to do the effort. You're willing to put in the work and say, study. Let's see. He said that tonight. Let me check on that. Let me check on something he said before. Let me see. Let me look at what I already know over here. Let me see what we already know have been proven to God over here. Okay, it works. It works. It lines up. It's good. Amen. That's the spiritual man. The spiritual says, I'm going to compare the spiritual with spiritual, not with fleshly, not with my own intellect and what makes sense to me. I'm going to compare spiritual with spiritual because that's what we're getting into today. We're getting into too many people trying to compare spiritual with what makes sense to my fallen and, and finite flesh-filled mind. And obviously you're going to be way off base in that context because those two don't mix. They do not work. So the first thing the spiritual man does, the litmus test of the spiritual man is he compares spiritual and spiritual. Number two, in verse 14 and 15, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. You see, the next thing the spiritual man does in the litmus test that you can check in your own life is the spiritual man discerns and judges all things. It says it right there, he that is spiritual judges all things. This verse teaches that we must judge all things as right or wrong. Very important statement here. Tolerance of error is the doorway to all error. I'm just going to tolerate this thing coming in the church. It's okay. No, that's a poor judgment. Tolerance of error is a slippery slope of straight down into all of a sudden you're going to wake up 
drums on the platform, light show, fog, all those things going on because the tolerance are there. Oh, it's okay. We can let it happen. That's the pastor's job to say, no, that's not happening here. That belongs out in the world, not in the house of God. See, tolerance of error is the slippery slope that leads to the door to all error. There is no escape. For instance, the, the, the book of Proverbs talks about the foolish man. The foolish man. There is only one end to the foolish man. There is no other. There is no escape. There is no off-road of the path. It's death and destruction. The only way not to face death and destruction of the fool is to no longer be a fool. If you are a fool, that will be your end. If you allow error in the church, that will be your end. It's the doorway to all error. Unless you get it out, that will be the end. A common error today is that you cannot judge anything or anyone's wrong behavior. This is a misinterpretation, a misapplication of what Jesus said when he says, judge not, lest ye be judged. The correct understanding of this verse is that you cannot always correct someone's motives. But you don't base it on human thinking. You base it on scripture. Because we know the Bible does not contradict itself, and it says right here in 1 Corinthians, the spiritual judges all things. How does he judge all things? If Jesus Christ says, judge not lest he be judged. He judges all things because he's the spiritual man. Because he judges, as we just looked at, he does spiritual things with spiritual things. He can judge all things because his mind is set on the Bible. His mind is filled with what is right and true. So he can judge all things because his mind is set on the Bible. So the thing we see in the spiritual man is he discerns and judges all things. He can spare a spiritual with spiritual, he discerns and judges all things. Number three, 1 Corinthians 9, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. The next thing that the spiritual man does is he sows spiritual things. He sows, he plants spiritual seeds. He plants spiritual knowledge. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 11 and 12, the Bible says, if we, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. If we have sown unto spiritual things, these spiritual things Paul sowed were preaching the gospel, Bible teaching, planting churches, making disciples, reproducing himself. Question to you, one of the things Paul is most known for is his Timothy, a challenge to every Christian, to every person that thinks of themselves as spiritual is who is your Timothy? Who are you trying to reproduce after yourself so when you are gone, because life is fleeting, it's as a vapor, you're not promised tomorrow, so what are you doing for tomorrow? That's the question. Paul had his mind set. It, the, the correct mindset of a Christian is to have my today is all about that day, and that day is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. You get... As, uh, the service conferences here, the, the theme was with eternity in view. That's the correct mindset to have. Every day is not about today. 
today is about that day, eternity. When I stand before my Savior and my works of life are brought before me and they're tried in fire so I can have my crowns and jewels to cast back at his feet. That's what that day is all about. And if I can live every day in accordance to that day, that day will become much better because it will always be on my mind and it will help determine how I live my life. And it'll help me find ways to sow spiritual things, to look for those that I can invest in for good and right and for the future. Sowing spiritual things, spreading the gospel, teaching the Bible, planting churches, making disciples, reproducing himself in Timothy's and those that follow after. What does the litmus test say about you so far? Spiritual or no? If you're not saved, you're automatically natural. That's the easiest litmus test of all. But then after you are saved, now you have to keep the litmus test going. Amen. Am I spiritual or am I carnal? Do I compare spiritual with spiritual? Do I judge all things as the spiritual man does? Do I sow spiritual things? Everyone sows. You are always sowing. You are always sowing, whether you like it or not, whether you think about it or not, whether you want to or not, you are sowing. That's the very fact of life. You are always sowing. Someone is always watching you. Someone is always picking up after you. So the question is, what are they picking up after you? Are they picking up the carnal that you're laying behind or are they picking up the spiritual? So the easiest, one of the easiest ways to look at yourself is to look at what you're producing. Am I producing things that are spiritual or am I producing things that are carnal? Those that follow after me, those that are trying to be like me, are they people that are spiritual or are at least becoming spiritual or are they becoming less spiritual? Because that's a sign of who you are. It's the litmus test. Are you spiritual? Number four, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Chapter 14. We see a lot of this is found in the book of 1 Corinthians because the Apostle Paul is trying to let them know, you all are carnal. This is how you become spiritual. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to test yourself on a regular basis. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14 and verse number 37. The Bible says, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, so I think I'm spiritual, that's what he's saying. Let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Okay, we are under, just if you didn't know, we are under the new covenant, the laws of Christ. We are no, no longer under the old Mosaic law. We don't have to go out and perform all the Mosaic laws and perform all the sacrifices and all those things. Jesus Christ has come. He has fulfilled the law. That is the time and day and age that we live in. Paul wrote it. If you think you are spiritual then, own up to the fact that we th that this is what is right. This is what is true. See, we, we still there are still those people today that that believe in the Old Testament and, and believe that's what's still in effect because they're still looking for the Messiah. Uh, they do not believe he has come. Obviously, they are wrong, and obviously, they do not know the true scriptures. They do not read the true scriptures. They haven't allowed themselves to read the true scriptures. But in our time, we said there is still that issue, but there is more of an issue of those that like to play grocery shopping with the Bible. Mm, I'll take that, mm, I'll take that, and mm, I don't like that. 
But the Apostle Paul was saying, hey, I've written it unto you. If you're spiritual, then you know what I'm writing unto you. It's not just me speaking. This is the commandment of the Lord. This isn't a pick or choose. This isn't, oh, I like that great, but I don't like that one. You take it all. It is the commandment of the Lord. It's not a piece that I can take or leave. It's not a choice that I have to know. It is the commandment of the Lord. And the spiritual man says, yeah, it's true. It's all good. And it's all good for me. Whether I like it or not, whether it's fun or not, whether it's easy or not, the spiritual man, as he said, if you think of yourself as spiritual, then you should know what I write unto you is the commandment of the Lord. Not something that can be taken, oh, that's just Paul talking. He's just a man. Okay. But if you're spiritual, you know it's not just Paul talking. The spiritual man. The spiritual man acknowledges the Bible as the commandment of the Lord. Not their favorite passages, not the ones that make them feel good, but the whole Bible. Even the ones where it's, thou art the man. That's what the spiritual man does. And as just as David does, when the Bible says, thou art the man, I've sinned. The spiritual man. Next, Galatians 6.1. Galatians 6.1, the spiritual man. The spiritual man. Who? What are the, 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 the landmarks? What are the obvious markings that we can see on a litmus test of our life to see, am I the spiritual man? Am I the person that I try and make people think I am? Am I truly that person or am I just putting on a front? This is the litmus test. Galatians 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual. So he says, all right, guys, if you are spiritual, you see a friend, you see a brother in Christ who is overtaken in a fault. He went into sin. He did wrong. Paul is not trying to explain away that. He says he's, he's done wrong. But if you are spiritual, what should you do? Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. This is a hard thing for many Christians to do for many different reasons. Fear of reprisal, fear of what people may say, fear, fear of a contradiction. All these things, all these things that go through the mind of a Christian when they're faced with this decision. But a spiritual person bears one another's burden as Christ has done for us. He says, I know you've done wrong and I know you failed, but I'll help you. And notice he says in the spirit of meekness. You see, because if you're right and holy and as spiritual as you truly think you are, then your spiritualness, your strength in God will be pretty overwhelming. And if you show it all as you have or have the attitude many of us have, I told you so, you shouldn't have done that. Oh, you have a right. You have the strength. You are right. But as what meekness is, it's strength under control. Oh, I could say that because I have the strength and I have the power. I told you not to do that, and you did it anyways, and now look at where you're at. Well, that's not going to restore a brother. That's going to say, yeah, I knew I shouldn't have come back. I knew I shouldn't have come back here. 
But the Bible says, the Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, says, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. I could say this. I could read you the riot act. But, for Christ's sake, in the spirit of meekness, here's my hand. I'll call you what? See, the spiritual man understands. The spiritual man restores backsliders in the spirit of meekness. The spiritual man. Okay? Apostle Paul is very familiar with this. Once again, many of what I'm reading tonight is from the book of Corinth. Okay? The man in the book of Corinth who was fornicating and doing lewd things with his father's mother, wickedness, and he said, look, he has no repentant spirit. He does not care. Kick him out. And so they finally did after Paul told him to. And then when he finally gets to the place where he says, I am wrong, he gets to the end of himself and he decides, I need to get right with God. I need to go back to church. They said, nope, we don't want anything to do with you because you're wicked and we're good Christians. Paul is saying, all right, guys, let's go back the other way. Balance. Because the spiritual one, if you're spiritual, as he said, the spiritual ones restore such a one. And the apostle Paul had to teach them and train them. He says, look, he was wrong. You kicked him out. That's what I told you to do. But now he's repentant. If you're spiritual, like you think you are, we're the good Christians. We don't, we don't do anything with wickedness. Okay, if you're that spiritual, then restore him again. Reach your hand out and say, I'll help you stand back up. I'll help you get back on your feet. Oh, and they could say whatever they want, but they have the spirit of meekness to hold themselves back. The spiritual man. The spiritual man. Next, what is the next thing that we can see in our own life of the litmus test of the spiritual man? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 19. Ephesians 5, verse 19, what does the spiritual man do? One of the things I can look at in my own life and say, oh, I'm showing signs of the spiritual one. I'm showing signs that I am spiritual. Ephesians 5, 19 says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. See, the spiritual man, he sings psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I wonder... If, before the church service, when the announcements are playing, before the prelude begins, if your phone somehow got synced up to the sound system and began playing your favorite playlist. service, we're going to play so-and-so's favorite songs. The songs they listen to the most, not the songs that they say is my favorite church, but the songs that they say by their actions, these are my favorite songs. These are the songs that I cannot wait to listen to. The devil understands the power of music. The devil understands. He, he, was, he, was, he was a being of music. That was one of his main, main deals that God created him with. 
was absolute beautiful music prowess. So he understands how to get to you through music. And the spiritual man that cannot overcome the battle of music will always be held back and will never reach the true potential of spirituality because the devil knows how to use the music to trip you up and to pull you back and to make you fall. How is your appetite for music? What is your appetite for music? What do you desire to hear in your music? How embarrassed would you be if your music began playing in the house of God? The spiritual man will. The spiritual man will be right at home. How is it? How is the litmus test going? Number seven, Ephesians chapter number six. Ephesians chapter number six. The next thing that we can see in the spiritual man, Ephesians chapter number six, verses 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The spiritual man understands who the enemy is. The spiritual man understands what my fight is against. The spiritual man understands who his fight is against. But not only that, the spiritual man, he does wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and the spiritual wickedness in high places, But notice in verse number 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God. The spiritual man, while fighting, while wrestling, he understands these are the tools that I have to have. If I don't have these tools, I I am toast. I am done. It's not happening. I'm going to lose. The spiritual man does this while he puts on the armor of God. We see that in verses 13 uh, through 17. The armor of God, we're very familiar with them. Okay, the helmet. Our loins girt about, the breastplate, the shield of faith, all those different things you have to have as a spiritual man. If you are thinking that you're going to be spiritual, you won't last five minutes without your armor, without the armor of God. Because remember, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, the spiritual wickedness in high places. If you don't have your spiritual armor, you'll be toast. You'll be done. And not only does the spiritual man understand who he's fighting against, not only does he understand the, uh, the tools and the weapons that he needs, he also, while doing all that, in verse 18, the Bible says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Spiritual man, while fighting against the wickedness, while struggling against the spiritual wickedness in high places, while making sure he has all his tools and armor he needs, he is in constant prayer and watching the perseverance. Eyes of a hawk, keeping watch on what is right and what is wrong. You see, one of the problems that we really face in this area and time of our life is first off, we have forgot or we have ceased to fight. We have ceased to wrestle. We find ourselves in a comfy place and snuggle ourselves in and say, I'm good. I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. 
so I'm good. The battle no longer rages. There is no fight against the principalities, against the spiritual wickedness. We just, I've done enough, haven't I? I mean, I already go to church. I already do this. I already do that. I, I, I think I'm doing enough. I think I'm good. That's not what the spiritual man does. The spiritual man continues on. We have lost our fight, we've lost our bite, but we begin, not only have we just ceased to wrestle against who we're supposed to, we've changed our passion and fire to fight against those that God never intended us to fight against. Remember, he said, we fight not against flesh and blood, but so many of us are fighting against flesh and blood. We have turned our fight and our wrestle against those that are not helping Uh, fighting against those that wouldn't help the cause of Christ, but because we are fighting them, we are hurting the cause of Christ. I say this, I pity, and I don't say this facetiously or satirically, I truly pity those that have wasted and dedicated their life to uncovering what they think is justice and right. Oh, I'm the, the warrior of justice. No, you're someone who doesn't know their Bible. That's what you are. Because the Bible says, I shall repay. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so when you, Mr. Whoever, social media, think I'm going to set everything right, you're telling God, I don't trust you. You don't know what you're doing, so I have to do it for you. I sincerely, sincerely pity that day for you. Jesus Christ looks at you and says, I gave you passion. I gave you fire. I can't wait to hear what you did for me. No. You used it against me. Think of how many hundreds and thousands, maybe millions of people that could have been saved, but because we just can't get over ourselves. I just have to wrestle against them because they did me wrong. Yeah, no one ever did Jesus Christ wrong. Glad about that, right? See, we're so consumed with ourselves. The spiritual man keeps his eye on the prize. It doesn't matter that you hurt me. I know who I'm fighting against. I can let it go because I understand what the what the deal is. I understand who I'm fighting against. I wrestle, I fight against the principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness, against the spiritual wickedness that's in the high places. We have fallen for the misdirection, the smoke and mirrors of the devil. Oh, look over here, look over there. Fight against this, fight against that. We've lost our fight against what the real battle is and we've turned it against ourselves. Slaying those around us because Yeah, that sounds like Christ. Spiritual man. Colossians 1.9. What else is a mark that we see on the litmus test of the spiritual man? Seven things so far that we can see. Bible truths that we can see. This is the spiritual man. This is those that are spiritual. This is what they do. Colossians 1 verse 9. For this cause, we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with 
the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. See, the spiritual man seeks wisdom and not just understanding, spiritual understanding. We live in a day and age that's after knowledge. Oh, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know, I want to understand. But where is the spiritual understanding? See, a spiritual man, get this, the spiritual man seeks to understand all things from a spiritual, biblical point of view. Everything. I want to look at everything in my life, every single detail, and I want to understand it from the biblical point of view, from the biblical perspective. Today we have people seeking understanding and questioning everything with the natural eyes. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? What about the spiritual eyes? Where are the spiritual eyes gone? There's not a problem with seeking understanding. There's not even a problem with questioning some things. But the problem is, where is your understanding lie? What is the seed of your decision making and why you're looking for that? Are you looking at it for a fleshly understanding or are you looking at it trying to understand what is God's view on this? What is the Bible trying to teach from this? That's that's the spiritual man. The spiritual man says, I don't care what fleshly man may say. I want to understand what is God trying to say? What what is what can I learn from the biblical point of view about what's right and wrong? The spiritual man seeks wisdom and spiritual understanding. He asks, why does this happen? So he can understand from the biblical point of view. Was something obeyed or disobeyed? Why did that happen? Let me look at my Bible. You see, once again, I said it on Sunday. We live in a day and age that we've gone away from the time of earthquakes and floods and problems and tornadoes of looking at that and saying, first off, did we do something to incur the wrath of God? That is far long gone because we're smart now and we know the science behind it. Once again, as I said before, if God chooses to use something that he made, does it discredit him for using something that he made? No, okay, it doesn't. Obviously not. God doesn't have to do something supernatural to prove that he's God. Everything is supernatural. Did God allow this because of some sin we have committed? What happened to that? What happened to that mindset of the spiritual man? I'm trying to understand according to the Bible. All things. That's what it says. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. With the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I want to understand everything in this life according to the Bible. Not according to my natural eyes that I see. See, the naturalized man says, oh, well, it doesn't make sense to the numbers, so it can't be. But the spiritual man says, it doesn't matter what my eyes see. It matters what my spiritual eyes see. Through the glasses of the Bible. See, that's how you get your natural eyes prescribed the right way. You look at them using the glasses of the scriptures. Why did this happen? Well, let's look at the Bible. Let's look at some of the things that happened in the Bible and see if we can learn from the truths that happened there. 
The spiritual man seeks God and his moving in everything. He doesn't just explain it away and act like it's not there. He's always seeking the Lord. Next, uh, 1 Peter 2.5. You don't have to flip there. I'll just read it for you. 1 Peter 2.5, the Bible says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The next thing the spiritual man is, the spiritual man takes his place as a brick in the local church, working together with everyone that's around. See, the spiritual man is willing to know his role and stay in his place. This person works together with other believers as a brick that's laid in place. If one brick is out of order, that can cause a lot of problems in the wall. The wall will not turn out good if one brick is faulty. If one brick is not set in the way that it should, it can cause everything to shift and not be as it should and to hinder the integrity of the wall. So the spiritual man says, as much as life is in me, I'm going to be the brick that I'm supposed to be. I'm going to interlock just as I should with everyone else. He offers up spiritual sacrifices to God. Spiritual men, spiritual believers, constantly sacrifice their time, effort, prayers, and money to promote the work of God. Does that describe you? Or is it the begrudging, overwhelming burden to you to do those things? Oh, you'll do it, but you'll let God know this is too much. I don't have time for another conference. I don't have time for another meeting. I don't have time for another need of the church or another need in the, in the church family. I don't have time or money for that. But if I have to, I'll give it because I want to be a good Christian. That sounds, sounds like a good Christian to me. Ooh, another big push. says, I'm just a brick. My job is to do and fit in. Very few things the Lord loves more than unity in the church. God looks down and says, that hits the spot. When I see one of my churches doing exactly as I have told them, mm, that's so good. When I look down and I see cheerful givers, God says, I love, I love that. Uh, the Lord loveth the cheerful giver. Yeah. The Lord loves unity in the church. Amen. But the antithesis to unity is pride. Because I'm not doing that. Do you know who I am? I've worked all this time. I've worked all these hours. I cannot show up on Sunday night. Are you crazy? Two church services in a day? Call Hitler, we're starting Nazi Germany again. We got two services on Sunday. Faith Harv Week, two preachers in a night? What? See, we laugh and it's funny, but let's be real. In the deep heart of our hearts, we have those thoughts. Again? But the spiritual man says, no, I'm not going to let that he keeps himself tested. Oh, I don't like that. Let me take care of that. 
spiritually. Number 10, James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. This is it. Pure religion undefiled before, the God, before God the Father. This is it. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The spiritual man, in his litmus test, he says, I bridle my tongue, I visit and help those in need, and I keep myself unspotted from the world. That's, that's what he said. This is the culmination. Pure religion and undefiled before God. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. As we talked about on Sunday night, we are rarely, if ever, more like the Christ when our mind and heart is on others. That's, and that's reiterated in James, verse 27, pure and undefiled. Pure and undefiled to visit the fatherless and widows in their day of affliction. Your need, your hurt, is more important to me than mine. And that's what Jesus Christ is trying to show us. On the cross, in the most horrific, unbelievable pain you could ever imagine, he's hanging there, and this guy off to his off to his side says, "Would you remember me?" And he doesn't say like most of us will. Let me get through this first, then I'll talk with you. I'll deal with you in three days. No, he says, "No." Yeah, not today. My pain isn't. not sitting around and, hmm, what if this happened? No, religion is, let me serve you. Let me, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, come down and offer your family. Because it's all about others. It's not about me. It's not about what I do. He bridles his tongue. Oh, Proverbs talks about that. The man that can tame his tongue, that can control his tongue, he is mightier than a man that can conquer a city. Mightier than a man. But the spiritual man, I can control my tongue. How are we doing? How is our litmus test doing? Unspotted from the world. Does your litmus test show spots of corruption from the world? How's it going, Christian? Spiritual man. Last thing, some blessings that the Bible tells of the spiritual man. Let's go back to Romans chapter number 8, where we began. Romans chapter number 8. Quickly, we're going to go through these things. These are blessings that the spiritual man is afforded. Someone that says, I am willing to constantly check my life with a litmus test. Who am I? Am I spiritual or carnal? Am I spiritual or carnal? And every time I see that carnality, I'm going to cut it out. These are the blessings due to the spiritual man. Verse number one, there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. Can you imagine living a life with no condemnation? There is no guilty conscience in your back. There is no pit in your stomach. You're not always looking over your shoulder wondering about what you just did or what you just said. No condemnation. Verse number two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ hath 
uh, Christ Jesus hath made it me free from the law of sin and death. Free from the law of sin and death. The chains of sin aren't on me. I am free. See, because the spiritual man can even, as we talked about with the blindfold, can put himself back into the subjection of the natural man. Back into the bondage of sin. But the spiritual man says, I'm free. I'm free indeed. Verse number four. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walked on after the flesh, but after the spirit. Fulfillness fulfills the righteousness of his law. I get to fulfill God's law and his righteousness. That's the spiritual man. Verse number five. For they that are after the flesh do mind things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, things of the spirit. If I'm a spiritual man, my mind, I have the blessing of thinking the way of the spirit. My mind, I mind and think things of the spirit. Verse number six, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Oh, it's a live a victorious and filled and peace life. That's the life of the spiritual man. The spiritual man says, I have all these things. Verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spiritual man calls God Father. My sweet Father. My dear Father. Abba, Father. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we might also be the spiritual man understands, I may suffer here on earth, but I'll be glorified with him in heaven. I'll get to see my Savior and feel the glory that day. When my life works are brought before me and they are burnt with fire and the crown and jewels come forth and I get to glorify my Savior. Verse number 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. Oh, that's a spiritual man. I know what's coming. Oh, I know it's not good today. I know it's a hard time, and I know there's battles I have to face, but I know what's coming. Amen. The, the carnal man doesn't have that. Oh, they, they may have the same future, but they're not looking forward to the day of judgment. They're not looking forward to their works of life being burned up before them because they know all that's there is wood, hay, and stubble. There is no precious jewels. There is no crowns. That's the spiritual man. Verse number 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. We, the spiritual man gets to look forward to heaven. Oh, he says, I cannot wait for that day when I get to see my Savior. When I get to leave this sin-cursed, groaning creation, and I get to go and be with the perfect one. That's what the spiritual man does. This carnal man, he doesn't have that. He doesn't look forward to heaven. What does he have to look forward to? He has the bare minimum. But he knows when I stand before my Savior, I can only hang my head in shame. The last thing, the blessings of the spiritual man. Verse 28. 
work together for good. We love that part. To them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That's the spiritual part. I love God and I'm doing what he wants me to do. That's the spiritual part. And the spiritual man knows it doesn't matter what battle, what hard time I'm facing right now. eight verse six once again to be spiritually minded this is the culmination when I'm living the spiritual man's life when I check the litmus test of my life and I say spiritual the spiritually minded life is life and peace that's the culmination of it all that's what everyone's looking for they're looking for a vibrant life that's filled with peace the spiritual man This is what God desires to bless your life with. This whole list of blessings. God says, I want to give you these things if you're spiritual. This is reserved for the spiritual man. Just as if you have a fish tank or a pool, you have your test strips that you need to test to make sure the water has the right alkalinity, that it's not going to be too bad. You have those things, and you constantly have to be able to balance it out. Otherwise, the fish tank be the correct uh, amount and it'll start throwing things it's a constant balance you have to constantly check it frequently check it and frequently add what you need to to help make sure that water stays where it's supposed to be same thing in the spiritual man's life the spiritual man doesn't just check his life one day and say oh i'm spiritual i'm good for the rest of my life no it's a frequent thing it's a frequent as the apostle paul says i die Every day I check my life and say, okay, oh, I need to take care of that. That needs to go. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, no, that's not good. Pure and undefiled, unspotted and blameless. That's what the spiritual man does. He checks his life and says, okay, I found some spots. I need to work on that now. How are we doing? Good, spiritual man. God says, I have this list of 10 things I want to give you, and so much more. This is just from one passage of the Bible talking about the spiritual man. But the culmination of it all, life and peace. How about it? Christian, check your life. What's it like now? Your spiritual man or not? Let's pray. Dear Father, I beg of you that we get 